I want to thank Mike for bringing the message last Sunday and uh, for his obedience to, to God's prompting and doing so. Um, it, it inspires me and encourages me to know that uh, I'm not the only one who can bring a message and, and hear from God and present something. Um, and I'm sure there are others as well. And I've always, always had the philosophy of trying to work myself out of a job. Um, really. And not because I don't want to be here, but because I want to enable you guys, not just being standing up here and, and, and preaching, but if there's other ways that I can enable you to do God's work, to, to use the gifts that God has given you, to glorify Him, I want to do that. And so if it's working myself out of a job here at the piano, some of you have uh, abilities to be able to play musical instruments, um, I encourage you to trust God as you step out in faith. Neil did it a number of years ago when he first came here. Yeah, I played bass a little bit and uh, joined in, and now you see him up here dancing around with the bass <laughs> and having a great time. So I just encourage you. And just to be able to be open to God's promptings. If He's prompting you in certain areas, uh, obey Him. As there's some wonderful things ahead for you as you do that. Well, we're going to look at a series in Book of Romans. And so we're going to tackle some things here in the next number of weeks. This will actually take us all the way through into to Easter uh, time. And so we're going to be looking at not every chapter, every verse but we're going to be looking at some uh, good portions of the book of Romans. So for some of you who thought I'd go verse by verse, I, uh, you'll be very disappointed, sorry, but uh, we'll hopefully hit some good portions of this that you're anticipating as well. But if you've ever uh, served on a jury or observed court proceedings, you are aware that everyone stands when the presiding judge enters the courtroom. The bailiff announces, all rise, and then identifies the judge by name and says, the court is in session. And as we read Paul's letter to the Romans, we get the impression that he acted kind of as a bailiff as well. He introduced the judge of the whole universe, and he declared, Paul declared, this court is in session. And as you read through the book of Romans, you realize that. A lot of things going on there that help us understand our position, where we are at, and who God is, and who we are. And just as judges in our courts hear and decide a variety of cases, so in Romans, God, the supreme judge, hears and decides a variety of cases as well. But His wisdom is flawless, and His judgments are just and absolute. We're going to see this in the book of Romans, I trust. And I trust the Holy Spirit will speak to you in many different ways as we look into this book in the number of Sundays to come. Now, let me give you a little short survey of this book of Romans, first of all, kind of an overview, and then we'll get into this first chapter. Now, Romans begins with a firm declaration of, of Jesus' deity as affirmed by His resurrection from the dead. We see that in the first portion here of this book. And Paul was a key witness to the resurrection, and he felt obligated to tell the whole world Jews and Gentiles alike, the good news of salvation. But before anyone accepts salvation through faith in the risen Son of God, each must recognize he or she stands guilty, condemned, 
before God, the righteous judge. And in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul presented clear evidence that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he also delivers the good news that Jesus died for sinners. So in Romans chapter 4 and 5, it teaches that no one can earn a pardon and, and new life by good works. God grants these gifts only to those who exercise faith in Jesus. The examples of David and Abraham attest to the fact that justification is by faith. Those whom God justifies enjoy peace with God and multiple other blessings, as we see in chapter 5. And they no longer face sentence of eternal death, but the free gift of eternal life. As justified believers, they have been set free from sin and are privileged to serve God, as we'll see in chapter 6. The sinful nature still stirs with the justified, but God gives the justified victory through Christ, as we'll see in chapter 7. The Holy Spirit, who lives in believers, guides them to do what pleases God and transforms them ultimately into the image of Christ, as we'll see in chapter 8. It's amazing to think that sinners can can be not only pardoned, but also empowered to walk in newness of life. And then in Romans 9 through 11, God rehearses His goodness to, to, to Israel, but reports the nation's misplaced pride and complacency. Israel had rejected God, but its rejection swung the door of salvation to the Gentiles widely open. Their loss is our gain as Gentiles. And the final two chapters of Romans deal with issues that arise occasionally among Christian brothers and sisters, dedication to God, love for Him and one another, and, and a desire to serve one another resolve these issues uh, quickly. And Romans is Paul's most theological letter, but it still contains warm and personal elements as well. That's because Paul was passionate about Jesus about the lost people, and sharing the gospel. To Paul, no one was more important than Jesus. And before meeting Jesus, Paul was not just a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He even called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he wasn't content to practice his faith while others practiced theirs. That didn't settle with him. You wouldn't find a coexist sticker on the back of his camel. He made it his duty to kill those who threatened the unity of Judaism, namely the first generation of Jewish converts to Christ. So it's not very surprising that when Paul himself was converted, he became an energetic Christian who always put Jesus and people and the gospel before his own personal comforts. Paul modeled what it means to be a follower of Christ. Paul was a sanctified believer whose Every waking moment was spent as a committed follower of Jesus. He wanted what Jesus wanted, and he did what Jesus told him to do. And Paul was a model of, of passionate servanthood, an example for us today. An example that we should take, take note of. Since we at Happy Valley, if you look in the back of your bulletin or the portion there that shows our mission statement, we are a people who are committed to following Jesus. That's who we are. So we should take note of how Paul is modeling all of this. It would be very beneficial for us to pay attention. Just think 
how your world would change if you were completely abandoned to Jesus as Paul was. If you loved lost people as freely as he did and believed as fervently as he did in the power of the gospel. Would you consider being a follower of Jesus and all that? I trust you would. And if you are a follower of Jesus, would you consider how deep you can go with your relationship with Him? In 1961, the East German government built the infamous Berlin Wall to keep East Germans from fleeing to the West. But Germans and the whole world watched freedom defeat tyranny in 1989 when, in response to Ronald Reagan's plea to Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, the East Germans tore down the wall. And today, about a half million Germans pass freely from one side of Berlin to the other side. Sin had constructed a barrier between the human race and God. But when Jesus died, he tore down the wall. Now all who believe in Jesus enjoy free access to God. Free access to Him and freedom to be all God wants them to be. So today's message of our study in the, in the book of Romans hopefully will give you a deeper appreciation of what it means to be free in Christ as we discover what it's like to be completely abandoned to Jesus, freely love lost people, and believe in the power of the gospel. So look with me in the book, book of Romans, if you haven't yet. It's the first of the epistles of, of Paul that he wrote, the letters that he wrote, after the, the Gospels and, and Acts, of all that went on with the church, we find Romans. And Romans is, again, nestled there uh, for our enjoyment, for a theological purpose in our lives. So in this book, we'll, we'll see these three points hopefully come out in this, this first, first chapter. First of all, we need to see that we need to give ourselves as a free hostage to Jesus. Give yourself as a free hostage to Jesus. Look with me in the first four verses of chapter 1, as well as verses 9 and 10. We'll skip over to those two verses as well. Starting with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, and then scoot over the verse 9 and 10, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. Give yourself as a free hostage to Jesus. Now, the label we use to describe our connection to Jesus is very important. Very important. It may limit our understanding if it has been overused. For example, I'm a Christian. That's great. That doesn't really define a lot, but okay, good. Many people define themselves as Christian. In Evangelism Explosion, during witness training, uh, we didn't ask people when we knocked on the doors, cold calling or, or moments there where we were sharing the gospel. We didn't start off and saying, are you a Christian? Because then that just, yeah, I am. And then we didn't have any opportunity to really share the gospel. 
we were able to ask a couple questions to figure out what it meant for them to be a Christian. I'm a Christian sometimes is a label that's overused. Labels may also expand our understanding if it brings a new perspective. For example, I'm a student of Jesus, meaning that you're always learning, figuring out, trying to figure out what he's, what he's uh, teaching you in his word. I'm a disciple of Jesus, or I'm a follower of Jesus. Be careful, though, when trendy labels uh, can be just, they can be just as, as devoid of meaning as overused traditional labels, um, as you call yourself whoever you're going to call yourself with your relationship with Christ. But how do you describe your connection to Jesus Christ? Hi, I'm Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. How are you? I don't know if you'd call yourself all that. And you can continue on with that verse because there is no, no stoppage there. He continues on. Sometimes we need to be careful on how long our, our little label is going to be. But do you call yourself a Christian? Do you call yourself a believer? Maybe a sinner redeemed by grace? Maybe a slave for Jesus? All these things have different connotations to different people. A disciple of Jesus? Maybe it's something else. You probably describe yourself maybe as an evangelical, as in Happy Valley Evangelical Church. We are a denomination. But if, you had, if you've had a, a unique or especially deep experience with Jesus, you may describe yourself less traditionally. Paul called himself a servant of Christ Jesus, but it was voluntary servanthood. And that's, a, that's an interesting concept. You give yourself over to someone voluntarily, allowing that person to tell you what to do. That doesn't happen a lot these days. People want to be independent. People want to do what they want to do. They'll do it their way. But Paul freely gave himself to Jesus. He said, I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel, in verse 9. That captures the positive spirit of Paul's service to Christ. Imagine during a, a routine stress test, a Christian man discovered he had several arterial blockages of more than 90%. After specialists restored his blood flow, the doctor assumed that he had narrowly escaped a heart attack. The patient now testifies that whatever years he lives are a gift from God to be used in serving him. All his gifts, all his abilities, all his resources and strength stand awaiting Christ's command. He has discovered the spirit of being a free hostage. Sometimes it takes moments like that. Sometimes it takes situations in our life to open up our eyes and help us see the priorities that we've listed in our lives and see that God wants to rearrange those priorities, placing God first and then all the other things. Sometimes it takes moments in our lives to shake us from our complacency, to shake us from uh, the fog in our lives, to realize that we need to give ourselves totally and completely over to Jesus for Him to use us as He wishes, for Him to call the shots in our life. We need to give ourselves as a free hostage of Jesus. Now, awareness of the gospel is never to be a private experience. It is meant to put us in relationship with others for 
mutual edification and for accomplishing the work of God's kingdom. And as our passion for the Lord grows and matures, so also will our concern for people. So we need to realize, and the second point to bring to you here today, is that we need to freely love lost people. We're not on our own on this. We don't receive Christ as our Savior, and then we're, we're good to go. We don't have to talk to anybody about it, share our faith. We're on our way to heaven. That's what counts. That's not what, how it should go. We should look at people around us and realize that if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are lost and they face eternity without Him, without God. Most people don't describe it as such, but it is hell. There is a place. A place where God does not exist. I think for us to realize those around us who don't have Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, we need to realize that they... They're, like I've mentioned before, they're on a plane and it's going down. We are all on a plane and it's going down. Just who, does, who has the parachute of salvation? Who has, those, those, uh, 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 who has received Christ as their Savior and who doesn't have that? And if they don't, we really we need to earnestly and urgently let them know. We need to have a love for lost people. In verse 5, and I'll read through verse 15 of, of chapter one of Romans. Hopefully we'll get this picture here. And Paul says, Through Him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit is in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'll stop there. But Paul's passion for people saturates this passage. He announced triumphantly, you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, in verse 6. With excitement, he exulted that the, the Romans were loved by God and called to be saints. Now, that word saints, we do a disservice to God by making saints nothing more than a synonym for believers. Saint is so much more. God called Abram to walk before him and be blameless. Genesis chapter 17. God really does expect His people to be holy. Holy and blameless. Anyway, so He also thanked God for them in verse 8. And He prayed for them in verses 9 and 10. And He longed to see them in verse 10. And furthermore, He wanted them to know that He planned many times to visit them. Not them alone, for He felt that He was obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks. 
Paul had a love for lost people that identifies with the heart of Jesus. As you read the Gospels, you see Jesus had a love for people. Even those who were against him, he had a love for them. As a Christian counselor listened to a family's troubles, he thought they need Jesus, but they don't seem like the kind of people who are interested in spiritual matters. Nevertheless, he said to them, after listening to you, I'm convinced that what you need is a change deep in your heart. And the husband said, you mean like being born again? <laughs> and startled uh, that he knew biblical terminology, the counselor said, yeah, yeah, are you interested? And both the husband and the wife were. Moments like those help us see that lost people need to see believers who love them. So many, so many times, Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, find themselves following Christ so much that they forget they need to love those who don't follow Christ, those who might follow Christ later in their life. That love for the lost people around us needs to show through our actions and our words, letting people see the love of Christ in us. They need to see that believers love Jesus and also love people passionately, caring for them. Lost people need us to share Jesus with them. We should not assume anything when we are with others. We should never assume that they have Jesus Christ as their Savior. I remember uh, the previous church I was at as a youth pastor, seeing some of the elderly people of the church thinking, oh, they know, they know Jesus, they have Jesus as their Savior. But some of them just grew up kind of in the church just because it was a thing to do. They went to church. Their parents went, and so then they went. And then when their parents died, they continued on, their children would come, and then their grandchildren would come. It was just the thing to do. Some of them never heard the question, do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received him? Wow, I go to church. Yeah, but do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Some of them didn't. Some of them never heard that question before. We should never assume around us that people have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we also, too, should carefully figure out how to enter into that conversation with them. And that was one thing as a young whippersnapper over at the church, uh, talking to these older people that had plenty of life experience, uh, you had to be very careful in how you kind of approach the situation. Now, of course, you need to earn the right, earn the right to be able to share, earn the right to be able to talk with them about those things. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll listen. They will listen, but freely love lost people. On a scale of one to 10, question for you, on a scale of one to 10, how do you rate your love for lost people? How do you rate your love for lost people? Now, you think about that. you got that number in your head, 1 to 10, 10 being the best. Are you satisfied with that level, with that number? Probably a better question, is Jesus satisfied with that number? And what would it take to move you closer to a 10 on that scale? What would it take for you to move closer to a 10 on that scale? 
we really need to have a love for lost people. Paul not only had a passion for Jesus and lost people, he also had a passion for sharing the gospel. Without this, his zeal for Jesus and people might have gone no further than social action programs. As good and necessary as these are, we should all be doing more for those in need. They are not enough. Social action is not enough. The gospel is the power of God for salvation in a way that the other two passions are not. So it's very important. A third point here today is that we need to freely proclaim the gospel. Freely proclaim the gospel. Look with me in verses 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Who was the person who first told you about Jesus and the gospel? Think of that person. Get that person in mind. Who was, who was the person who first told you about Jesus and the gospel? And think about how he or she shared it with you. For me, it's my friend Greg. You've heard this before in my testimony. Good junior high friend all the way, and we're still good friends. Keep in touch with each other. He noticed my questions I had about Christianity when our, our uh, humanities class started to get into religions. And when they got to Christianity, then uh, he saw me kind of have some questions about that. And he wanted to help me through those situations. He would meet with me, and the thing is, is that he shared Christ in a way where he didn't just say, this is what you need to do, this is what it is, here it is, the Bible and all that, go. He was there, he cared for, for situations with me, he, 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 didn't, he didn't just stop and say, I'm going to pray for you right now, but he was, he was a person, I'm sure, who was praying for me before I came to Christ. But he also, too, was just a good friend but he was never ashamed of the gospel, never ashamed of telling me the truth, setting me straight sometimes, but giving me the straight truth in love. He did those things. He was not apologetic about it at all. Maybe the person that you're thinking of as well too, or you have in mind that first um, told you of, of Jesus and the gospel, also too helped you see your need Christ, and was able to do it in a way where uh, you saw a, a purpose behind what that person was doing, and that there was a goal and a love for you as well. When Paul said he was set apart for the gospel of God, he used a Greek term that means to set off by boundaries or limits. God had so narrowed the focus of Paul's life that he could do nothing except preach the gospel. And may it be for us that God narrows our life in such a way, and our focus in such a way, that we have that love for others around us and realize the power of the gospel and be able to proclaim that to people, letting people know what God has done for you. In these, these two verses, verses 16 and 17, he, Paul outlined the gospel 
in verse 16, he said, is the power of God. That, that's the nature of the gospel. In verse, uh, also in verse 16, it says, for, it's for salvation. That's the purpose for, of the gospel. And then also in verse 16, it's everyone who believes. That's the target, target of the gospel. And in verse 17, it's from God. That's the source of the gospel. Also in verse 17, a righteousness from God. That's the effectiveness of the gospel. When a person receives Christ as their Savior, there's a change in their life. Their life has been affected. And then also in verse 17, it's by faith from first to last. There, there's the appropriation of the gospel, how it comes to us. You know, everyone wants to be right. When you make a mistake, you try to explain your actions, maybe. You don't want to be wrong. Maybe you give an excuse. But God invites you to go beyond simply being right to being righteous. The way to truly be right is to admit you are wrong, that you have sinned. Next, you must ask God by faith to give you His righteousness. This is salvation, which is not just going to heaven when you die. It is living God's righteousness here on earth. When you're living His righteousness, you will want to share it with others around you. Think about how Paul freely proclaimed the gospel wherever he went. We have a little study going on uh, for Wednesday nights in the book of Acts. And we get to see all the different things that are going on there and how Paul was very fervent about making sure people knew the gospel, knew about Jesus, what he did, what he can do in a person's life. And Paul freely proclaimed the gospel wherever he went, and he talked about who Jesus was, he talked about his death, he talked about his resurrection, and what Jesus had done for Paul. When you are convinced that God has done something in your life, answered prayer, did some miraculous thing in your life, some way, met you on the road to Damascus. <laughs> Share that with others. Let them know. And not just your Christian friends. Although that's wonderful. That's a great time to be able to do that. Unsaved people long for a relationship with a powerful God. Tell what He has done for you. Simple as that. And tell them what He has done for you recently. We can, we can live in our past in a way where we go, oh yeah, I remember 30 years ago when Christ met me, and then they'll look at you and go, that's all he's done for you in 30 years? What else has he done? We need to let people know what Jesus is doing in our life, what, how he is using us, how he is working through us, what he has done for us, but also, too, turning that around, what have you done for Jesus? But tell what He has done for you. Let those people know. Begin to emphasize Jesus in your conversations with non-believers. Instead of talking about being saved, or talking about the church, or talking about religion, let them know about the relationship you have with the living Savior. Freely proclaim the gospel. It's what we need to be doing. And although it might be kind of scary to use some methods that have you talking to people, you don't you don't have to be too scared. 
realize that the Holy Spirit who lives in you will give you the words to say. There will be some apprehension at first, I'm sure. Hesitation. But realize that if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the power of God in you that can give you the words to say in the right moments, the right time, be able to say those words to those who, who, who need to realize their need for, Savior, for a Savior. So we have those opportunities. Don't miss out on them. Make sure that you emphasize those moments. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. As they do, let me close with, uh, with this. I want you to think of the most significant relationship in your life. Think of the most significant relationship in your life right now. You got that? Thinking about it? How much does that person know about you? How much does that person know about you? What do you share and what don't you share with that person? How much of your money, your material goods, your knowledge, your affection, your energy, and dreams do you share with that person? The closer you are to another person, the more open you are with them. Now think about your relationship with Jesus. How open are you with Him? What areas of your life do you withhold from Jesus? <laughs> and why? Why would you withhold that? What would it take for you to be openly honest with Jesus? Because I believe as we look at how we need to freely give ourselves to God, freely love the lost, and be able to identify that there's power of the gospel, we need to surrender ourselves totally to Jesus and being honest with Him, growing closer to Him, being open to Him. Where are you in your relationship with Him? And maybe the Holy Spirit might be speaking to your heart about that today, and I trust that as He does, you will respond in obedience to what He has for you. How's that relationship going with you and God? Something that we need to consider daily, not in a fearful way, but in anticipation of how Jesus is going to use you in an incredible way. But in order to do that, that relationship needs to be pretty close because he's going to prompt you, he's going to guide you, and as he does, you need to be aware of those things. Having that close relationship with Jesus enhances that, helps you pay attention to what the Holy Spirit has for you. So where are you at with Jesus? What areas of your life do you need to give over to him? What do you need to do to be able to be closer in your relationship with him? Some things to think about as we sing these next few songs.